Tell me something that white people say to let you know that they're low-key racist. All lives matter. I don't see color. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, red, yellow, green, or purple. I have three black friends. My best friend is black. My sister married a black guy and they have two beautiful mixed babies. Mixed? There are two types of black people. He's one of the good ones. You're so well-spoken and articulate. They have BET, all black colleges, and Black History Month. They. It's not the system, it's the culture. Damn rap music and fatherless homes. Race has nothing to do with it. Look at OJ Simpson and look at Bill Cosby. America can't be racist, we had Barack Obama as president. You need to stop pushing and perpetuating victim mindsets. Here we go, another snowflake white savior. Allies really just hate their own kind. He should have complied. Just don't commit crimes. Name one racist law in 2023. Police brutality, what about the black on black crime? Chicago. Black people just need to get off the democratic plantation. We just need to stop talking about race. It's not racism, it's classism. Oh, you guys are in for a treat. Welcome to the Bagland Podcast. This is Bagland DP, where we discuss politics, tech, and tangibles. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. Y'all like the Mike Titan Keys, don't you? We're going to have a lot of music for you. Yeah, man. It's been late and long awaited, but we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this, man. What's been up with y'all? We got the Mozzie Yay area. Or should I say Sacramento? I believe Sacramento's part of the area, ain't it? Ain't it part of the Bay Area? Or is that Northern California? I think I'm wrong. Yeah, we got some good slap for you. The first article that I want to pull up is less than ridiculous. Actually, it's over, over ridiculous. This is from the failed New York Post, of course, with more additional insanity that we've already been used to. Now, this chick says, I'm head over heels in love with an oak tree, but it isn't about sex. So now this this chick now is calling herself an eco-sexual. This, this is where we're at, y'all. She's 45 years old. She has a forest fetish. She finds nature romantic, sensual, and sexy. And they say she is a self-intimacy guy and a somatic sex. She's a sex educator in training. She first started pinning pining for the plants after moving to Vancouver Island, British Columbia in the winter of 2020. She specializes in erotic storytelling. Now it sounds like she got like a Russian name or something like that. So she says, I was walking a path near the first, uh, 
walking a path near the tree five days a week for the whole winter. And she said, I would lie against it. Then she says she has erotic energy from a plant. The presence I feel with the tree is what I'm looking for, but that's fantasy with a person. I've been craving that rush of erotic energy that comes when you meet a new partner that is not sustainable. Then she says she doesn't physically engage in intercourse with the tree. <clears throat> I don't know if she does that or not, but we'll believe her, I guess. But rather the tree erotic experience is all in her mind. If she has one, a big misconception is that equal sexuality means sex between people and nature. It's a different way to explore the erotic. The forest fetishists explain to watch the changing of the seasons to me. To watch the changing of the seasons is to me an erotic act. You can go from death in winter and then everything comes alive in spring and mates. Now, some people may think this ain't no big deal. This lady sleeping with trees. She's a sequoia tree slut. <laughs> She's a sequoia tree slut, right? This goes a little deeper than what people think it is. All these sexual deviants running around doing this kind of stuff all it's really doing is opening the door now think about this this supposed to be a person this is supposed to be a person that is educating people and you got to start thinking about who is paying to hear this woman's insanity and there actually is and that's why you get into this garbage right here. You get into this right here. And that's the problem. You start getting into folks what about like when this. employee misgenders you so intentionally. While she's, talk, while he's talking, you're talking. You just misgendered me again. Okay. Multiple times. Gotcha. Both of you have. Wasn't intentional, but if you want to take it personal, that's also. Well, okay. she did do it intentionally twice. Okay, so you're talking to me too. You said she, and then you said he. You're being condescending, and if you want to continue, Ooh. I have full authority escort you out the building right this moment. If you want to play that game. Okay. Would you like to continue three days before Christmas? I really don't mind. I'm good. I'll just put this on. What about when adults employ misgenders you so intentionally? Why she's talk? Why he's talking? You're talking. You just misgendered me again. Okay multiple times gotcha. both of you have yeah now it looks like this clown is going this clown and this some guy named colin rug said delta employee fed up with the pronoun police and threatens to kick man out of LaGuardia airport who warned about being less gender so you got a bunch of whiny bastards and these are the same folks that when black folks start making demands for what is owed to us, they're standing in our way. Oh yeah, they do it all the damn time. Yes, they do. And big ups to this brother for checking his ass. 
big ups to this brother for checking his ass. Because instead of just taking his ass on the plane and going about his business, he wants to start arguing. He wants to sit up there and pout and argue and whine like a baby mama rather than getting his getting his jackass on a plane. And this is the same energy of that eco-sexual crap. Just as insane. Now listen to this here. I got an article. I'm going to go through all these old articles. This is, this is crazy. This is why black folks, we going to start having to abandon some of these little holidays. If you don't know how to conduct yourself productively and constructively. And at that point, Abrielle was in the driveway and she was carrying her 10-month-old baby in a carrier in her hand. You know, and her, her brother <laughs> killed her. <laughs> a fight between two teenage brothers over Christmas presents ends with their older sister dead, one of them wounded, and both of them facing charges. Good evening, I'm Keith Kate. I'm Jennifer Lee. Thank you for joining us. The sheriff's office says the older brother shot his younger brother after learning he shot their sister who was trying to get the squabble to end. All of this happened on New Year or Christmas Eve rather in the Ridgecrest neighborhood of Pinellas County on 22nd Avenue Southwest just off Trotter Road. News Channel is Trevor Sohockey joins us live from the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office with more. Trevor. Well, Jen, Keith, the sheriff said that these arguments over Christmas presents, they happen all the time, just not with guns. The sheriff said these two boys have been arrested before, and now he's asking for the laws to change. A Christmas Eve tragedy for one Largo family. She's just a woman going about life, doing her thing uh, with her two kids, trying to make a living, trying to make it, and, you know, her, her brother <laughs> killed her. Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Gualtieri said 23-year-old Abrielle Baldwin was shot by her 14-year-old brother because he was arguing over Christmas presents with his 15-year-old brother. The fact that you get upset, you get two 14, 15-year-olds who get upset with each other because one got more, I mean, that happens. I mean, that's just, that's kid stuff. But not with guns. The sheriff said the 15-year-old was home, saw his sister lying in the driveway, then shot his younger brother. The sheriff said Abrielle later died at the hospital, leaving behind an 11-month-old baby and six-year-old son. The problem is, is you got way too many kids out there with way too many guns. The sheriff used much of his press conference today venting against the laws surrounding minors and gun possession. Because if we don't slow it down, we got a big problem. And I've never seen it as bad as it is with the number of crime guns that are on the street. Sheriff Gualtieri said in the last 30 days, his office recorded 17 guns stolen from unlocked cars. He said people need to lock up their cars and guns and ask the legislature to make the penalties tougher for kids caught with guns. The laws need to change. We need to get serious and then we need to get tough and these kids need to get locked up. Send a message. So he's giving the Jim Crow Joe. Doesn't that sound like old Jim? He he's giving the old Jim Crow Joe. Lock him up, lock him up. But you know, here's the thing. Well, the sister, she's she's dead now. She's gone. But when it comes to stuff like that, yeah, ain't no sense of having no Christmas. If it has to come to that, ain't no sense of having no damn Christmas.
folks are arguing over who got what on Christmas Eve. Don't give them niggas nothing. Give them a Dr. Fress, uh, give them a Dr. Cress Welding book. Give them a Hidden Color series and a damn notebook. And buy them a calculus course. So we don't have to be no damn consumer. How about that? Because this is very problematic. A damn shame. This sister lost her life by some little spoiled bastard. And it makes me kind of wonder where was the kid's daddy at? That's what it really, I wonder where was the father? I didn't hear anything about a male in the home. And I know that was her little brothers or whatever, but I didn't hear anything about a male in the home whatsoever. And that kind of worries me a lot. Yeah, that bothers me. That really, really bothers me. And then you have cases like this. We'll cover that in a minute because we'll, we'll tie that in. We're going we're gonna to go through this. We are going to go through all the articles that I saved tonight. Every single damn one. But before we do, this is going to take about an hour of saying, oh, we'll bring that all the way down. I want to play something real quick. But this is almost an hour. Okay, this is no, this is an hour long. It was something I wanted to. Let me see if I actually have the video. I know what I'll do. I know how to rectify that. I'll play it through my phone. Now, as you guys know. Uh-oh, what is this? Oh, I, I got to say something about this. This just popped up. Shout out to Earn on Minnesota Stand Up. This just popped up. And, uh, mm, not really sure. But this popped up with Elon Omar. The Somali sellout in Minnesota. You know, a lot of my Somali homies that told me about her. She don't get no love in the Somali community anymore. But she's posting this. Which, this isn't a part of, this isn't even a part of Somali African culture, to be honest. But she gets posted this here. Because, see, they're, they're trying to push this old baby butchering thing. But they say, under the, this radical decision, a child victim of rape 
could be forced to give birth to a rapist child. This is the handmaid's. This is handmaid's tale shit. Breaking. The Supreme Court allows Idaho to enforce its strict abortion ban even in medical emergencies. Here's the thing. That's not really abortion is not a black issue. We want reparations. We don't want to butcher our babies. Now, I know in some cases, you know, when it comes to like um, medical emergencies and stuff like that. But when they say medical care is, well, I'm just a slimy eco slut. <laughs> Shout out to the plant sluts in the, in the Sequoia Forest uh, uh, prostitutes. If I just want to be an ecosexual and get pregnant by a tree, we might as well just go ahead and say it, y'all. It's just as insane as what they make it to be. If I want to get pregnant by a weeping willow tree and then I sleep with maybe 10 to 15 trees and I get pregnant by one and a half, uh, now I want to just have an abortion. That's a medical, that, that's medical health procedure. No, that's not. You sleeping with a whole bunch of pookies and Ray Rays at the club. If you want to go downtown Minneapolis and you just want to sleep with, you know, if you want to go to a sexy red concert and you want to sleep with five pookies and Ray Rays in their Cadillac in, in, in their Cadillacs or one of their, in their 1983 Caprices. Do niggas even ride 1983 Caprices in Minnesota? <laughs> do niggas even ride 1980? I don't even think niggas ride box Chevys no more. But let's say you just want to. You want a couple niggas to slime you out in a 2003 Impala or a Hellcat, whatever, whatever, or a stolen Hellcat. Take your pick. And you want me to pay for it because, because you just have bad sexual choices. That's not a medical emergency. Because you're probably going to be doing that every weekend. You are going to be doing that every weekend. So, you know, she said the handmaiden tale and stuff. Nobody really listens to Elon. Somebody said there's too many effing kids anyway. You're the left that this country needs, even if it's a nudge. 100% not true. The basis of all these radical, unconscionable decisions is a deep-seated hatred of women. Should I make a comment? I don't think I will. I'll be going in. But check this out. I want to play something here. I want to play something here. And you know how I follow, I've been following along history with a lot of the, the direction that, that points towards that black folks being here before Columbus. I never really believed in the whole idea now. Oh, they sailed the ocean blue and all. I used to believe that garbage, the Santa Maria and all. I used to think when I was a kid, they used to teach us at Ann Sullivan School or even Seward. They used to teach us that, hey, you Negroes just used to pick cotton and Columbus. They make us celebrate Columbus Day. We had John Henry Clark and Leo Weiner. We, we, we had all these folks back then. I found out about them way, way later because we didn't have the due diligence. We didn't have the, we didn't have people in our communities that did enough due diligence to really break down some of this, some of these things and some of this information. 
So now I have to go hard and hard and try to get some of this stuff out to spread it because you still have a lot of people that don't know. You see what I'm saying? And the thing is, is like Henry Clark was never J a right. All them dudes was never no slouches. Never. They risked their lives and limbs to give us information, basic information that we should have been able to have. What was the indigenous population of America? Do we believe that the European was the only person that came over here on ships? And why do we believe that? Why would we think that that's the case? They're the only ones that could have came over here. Black folks couldn't have came over from Africa. They couldn't have came hundreds or, or I would say thousands of years. They couldn't have done that. You Negroes weren't smart enough to build a boat. They say, hey, the first person on the planet was in Africa. That's what white, white scientists say. So if you're saying, well, you Negroes develop math and science, ancient Egypt, Kemet, eh, you're not smart enough to sail over somewhere else. You, you weren't smart enough to do that. Do, do we believe that? So I want to play this here. That means looking at Afro-American history, that means that I will be moving very rapidly over a large body of information. Uh, the kind of information that you need to devote a whole semester to. I think I'll begin by questioning the title of my lecture. What do you mean by new world? In as much as the new information on the pre-Columbian presence of the African in the new world tends to prove that there were Africans in this side of the world in South America and um, the West Indies, but particularly in the West Indies and parts of South America as early as 500 BC. And the reading of Christopher Columbus's diary will prove that um, according to his own accounts, and he was no friend of the blacks, that he found Africans in the New World doing business with Indians and using minted West African coins. And that when many of the Spanish conquistadors, especially those who went to the area that is the Panama Canal, they found small black colonies with the Indians in South America. And in a work by um, <coughs> Walter Van Werthner, I got that book. Um, dealing with terracotta and sculpture in South and in Central America, he dug up the greatest physical evidence of the presence in the Africans of Africans in the New World that has so far been been dug up. And in early works of Carter G. Woodson, and in a three-volume work by Leo Wiener called The African and the Discovery of America, he said, and he pretty much sustained what he said, that the African could have preceded the Indians in this side of the world, and that a lot that you think of as Indian culture is African culture. He got thrown out of Harvard for writing a book. Now, what of this place Christopher Columbus in context with New World Discovery. And inasmuch as he discovered a world full of people, 
then let us assume that the people that he discovered discovered something. And he discovered both Indians and Africans in this uh, side of the world. In actuality, when we look at <coughs> this year, 1492, look at its great significance in history, maybe of all the things that happened in 1492, maybe the least important thing that happened was this bad navigator started out from one side of the world and stumbled up on the other side of the world. Now, it has been proven that the Portuguese had already charted uh, their movement to this side of the world and they did not confuse the West Indies with the East Indies as Christopher Columbus did most of his life. And one of the main reasons why they did not come ahead of Columbus because they had had it on their charts and they had established priority. They wanted to build those fortresses along the coast of West Africa they were going to use to hold the slaves while the ships come in. They gave that priority to New World Movement. But the Portuguese, who were the master mariners of the day, thanks to the information that filtered into Europe after the Crusades, mostly from, from China, they had no confusion about what this part of the, how to get to this part of the world. All right, now, my point is, had Christopher Columbus not come, Europeans were going to come anyway. Now, there is all the talk about, which is beautiful folklore, about the debate between whether the world was round or flat. These were old wise tales told in Europe that had no great significance. Now, as the Europeans came out of the Crusades, began to recover some of their own strength, began to stir from the lethargy of the Middle Ages, they made a decision, and that decision still holds, and that is, Whatsoever the world is in shape, round or flat, we are going to take it. And that is what they did. Now, that was John Henry Clark. You can listen to the entire thing and see this. this yeah, this ain't no skip the truth gates type of Negroes either. Remember, Skip Gates tried to, try to call him a pseudoscientist. Nigga, you couldn't handle a candle while you couldn't get back in your house. Pulling that old racism is over. That old, oh, we shall over, Mr. We shall overcome Gates. Couldn't get, couldn't get in his own damn house from race soldiers. Try to say John Henry Clark is a pseudoscientist. Nigga, you couldn't hold a candle to John Henry Clark. You couldn't hold a candle to John Henry Clark. But there's a, a, a video called Black History, an Afrocentric View by John Henry Clark. And then it shows parentheses 1973. So you can, you can go look that up for yourself. See, folks that know what they're talking about, they don't need no pen and paper. Wasn't no PowerPoint presentation back in 1973. I remember my uncle told me, man, I was in class with John Henry Clark. My uncle, he grew up in New York and he was saying that he took a class with John Henry Clark. He said it was insane. Yeah, you, you, you don't, 
you don't get that good in 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 a level of understanding rather than you know having to put your feet to the fire and really get out there and do your thing. This ain't somebody that um was on no new jack stuff. This wasn't somebody that that is your typical Harvard Negro professor. This isn't your bought and paid for Negro. This is somebody that was, if you will, a revolutionary historian. They couldn't be hired at none of at, they couldn't be hired at none of your little cookie cumber cookie 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 cutter white bread uh, educational systems by Billy Bob and Sarah because they weren't going to tap dance to the lies. They weren't going to do it. So. What I want to do. Let me see here. This pretty much speaks to. Our history in America. For a long time, we have been taught that all we've done is just pick cotton. We picked cotton, we made a couple inventions here and there, and then that was all. But we've done way, way more than that. So I want to speak to some of some of our influences. I'm going to play some music and we're going to kind of bounce around. I'm going to go back and forth between a lot of these articles and stuff like that. But I found this. I want to play this. This is black American, the black American experience. Turn this fucking mic on. Turn, turn the mic on. July 17, 1977. Charles Mingus. Turn the fucking mic on. Who said mama's little baby love shot and shot and bread? Now, 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 why are they trying to? T- why are they trying to tell us that a lot of these immigrant groups created hip hop? They try to hit you with that old Morocco created jazz. Why isn't there a Charles Mingus in Morocco? Why is that? You see, why? Where's the Charles Mingus in Morocco? Oh, and why wasn't there a Little Richard in Puerto Rico? If we, if, if they created hip hop, then you should have created this. We were doing so wrong. It was just that people. See, because it wasn't anything that we were doing uh, so wrong. It was just that people were so slow. You were black. To accept mm-hmm. change. You was black. Tell him again. Will you yeah. tell him man again? They, you was black, and they didn't want that black image over their kids. You was a hero. Well, see, but they, the kids, and your kids was looking up to you, and they didn't want their kids looking what up kids? at that black kid. Kids. They didn't want the white kids looking up at this big old greasy black guy. Uh, 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 
Preach it. Uh, out of Georgia, uh, out of Mississippi, or uh, out of Chicago. They want their kids to see a little smooth white boy looking pretty uh, and, and on duty and and, and, and looking uh, rudy, you know. Uh, and so here's a black guy out there singing and screaming and beaming and steaming. They said, no, no, no. Little Richard, Bo Diddley, and Chuck Berry in 1987 for Berry's documentary. Now he's telling the truth about why black artists couldn't perform like how they wanted to in American Bandstand. Let's get some more history going on. Well, what is this? We'll come back to that. Let's talk. Let's look at this now. Well, I will, I'll cover that another time. But we will cover this. Now, this is a black. This sister here. Let's get our music going. This sister here is just trying to do her damn job. She's an Amazon delivery driver. And Amazon hasn't done anything about this. I haven't heard any statements. I know you don't care. You don't give a shit. We've had thieves here and you're a thief. Excuse me. Don't touch me. No. Don't touch me. Excuse me. Let me. Excuse me. Please don't touch me. She kept saying she's attacking me. So she's using the Karen. Now that sister would have been right to knock her on her ass. We got to get away from just letting folks assault us. This sister's doing her job. She's, she's doing her job, man. And each Karen, she said, well, she said, well, you know, please call security. Usually people don't say, please call security. If they're not in the wrong, they don't typically do that. They don't just say, please call security. Cause I'm not, if I'm a criminal, I'm not going to tell you to call the police. If I'm committing a crime, I'm not going to tell you to call the police. I don't even like calling them. I'm going to be quite honest with y'all. I, I really don't like calling them. I, I try not to have too much to do with them. I really don't want to deal with them. I'd rather avoid it. Um, so that's another thing. So this sister can't even defend herself. She's attacking me. Please call security. Excuse me, ma'am. Stop here. And you heard the lady kept saying, and she's saying, excuse me, ma'am. She's trying to do her job. 
she's grabbing her. Now, we're still in a pandemic, they say, or according to Joe, oh, it's not a pandemic anymore. But you got somebody breathing on you. You got this. You have this cave Karen breathing on you, grabbing on you, elbowing her. And they're saying, well, I'm calling security on you. I'm calling. So these are y'all got to understand this was the pretense for a lynching at one point in time. I want to talk about that again. This is the pretense for a lynching. It could be security come out, manhandle her, grab her by the neck, pull a shoving mood on her. And then this sister could be dead. And that's the last that we heard from her is a TikTok video. This sister's trying to record it to protect herself just by doing her damn job. So you got black folks on Twitter trying to identify who these race soldiers are, who these cave Karens are that's harassing the sister and assaulting her. And remember, this is how lynchings would start out. When we accuse a black person of doing something, she's not the police. She's, she hasn't launched an investigation. She's not law enforcement but they're self-deputizing herself so they can harass his sister and assault her. And then the other one is joining in. Because a person that's a thief, they would have just tried to ran off. A thief would have just knocked their ass out. Because I know if I'm a criminal and I'm trying to steal something and you try to run up on me and try to interfere, I'm going to give you the business. You're going you gonna to be real sorry about putting your hands on me. You put your hands on me and I'm a criminal. I'm already committing a crime. You gonna get hurt. You gonna get hurt. That's how you know the sister wasn't doing nothing wrong. Because the average person, they, they don't care who, who these old hoes is. They would have knocked them on their ass and ran off with the package. But she keeps saying, she keeps pleading with him, excuse me, excuse me. Excuse me. Do that, please. Oh, please, please do it. Yeah, I would have I broke that little dog's neck that she was with. Yeah, yeah, you don't put your hands on me. I'd I be gonna snap your dog's neck. <laughs> we'll see how you do. Yeah, see how you like that. That lady probably would have had a cardiac arrest or some shit. I'm telling you. Now, what is this here? This is another article. This is this is another one that's off cold. Facing a homicide charge. Key father, Travis Stackhouse, in court for the first time today, facing a homicide charge. The 29-year-old is accused of fatally punching his son, upset his son had eaten his Father's Day cake, tears running down his face in court Thursday. This babe. This Milwaukee father, Travis Stackhouse. Now, I told y'all that they say this was his son. Now this was a while ago. This 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 was in 2019. They said this this dude did this. 
first degree reckless homicide and death of his son. He pleaded guilty to a reduced charge of second degree reckless homicide with child abuse and child neglect. So they gave him a consecutive term of 15 years. He would remain on extended supervision for eight years after serving his prison sentences. So they saying, according to prosecutors, he was angry with his children for eating cheesecake that he got for Father's Day. He told the police that he only eaten one slice. They said in May, he admitted that he struck his son's face with the back of his hand, which he said was heavier than normal because of surgery. After hitting his son, he left out to go to the bar with his friends until 2 a.m. When he returned home, his girlfriend called 911 and the boy was pronounced dead on the scene by paramedics. I'm asking again, what's up with these hoes? And yeah, I called her what I meant. What's up with these ratchet ass hoes? They should have put a hole through this nigga. I don't get it. I keep I keep covering these cases over and over and over. What's up with these man? I'm not understanding it. I I don't understand this here. Now Yeah, man, I'm, I'm not sure what's up with these folks. This seems to be a constant thing. And see, these, these are some of the things we used to deal with. This is another clip. I'm, I'm going through these things bit by bit because I get emails from people all the time. And then there's stuff that I kind of save. So check this out. This evil became so popular that alligator baiting was seen as a form of entertainment, prevalent mainly amongst plantation owners and wealthy individuals during the era of slavery. It was so popular that they even used it to attract tourists. They considered it a thrilling spectacle, showcasing their dominance over nature and racial superiority. The misguided belief that black children were expendable and inherently lesser human beings fueled this dehumanizing practice. This evil became so popular that alligator baiting was seen as a form. Now that's the alligator bait. Now there was a video I played maybe three years ago about alligator bait where black pe black children were kidnapped. That's why we don't play. We're not playing anymore about any of our culture, any of our music, anything that we do or we've created or been, or things have been subject to, you know why? Because a lot of y'all ain't went through that. That only happened to the black American. We don't hear about any cases of things like that in other places. So when you have immigrant groups, groups coming over here, talking slick about black folks talking about, well, you know, we should do better and, um, why ain't y'all done better? You've been here for over 400 years or whatever. Man, miss me with all of that. Y'all ain't had your babies taken in no alligator bait. 
You came here willingly. Yeah, you came here willingly. I don't want to hear it. You came here willingly. See, you don't, y'all don't deal with stuff like this here. I want to play this old clip. Being on stage, the, the, the amount of training we have had, you know, Sidney Poitier, I was very fortunate. In fact, he came to, to the, uh, no, I talked to him before that, but it, I think it was when we came to Soldiers Play. He said, you're good. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and, and wow. I, I got a part in a movie in 1986. I called it the nigga they couldn't kill. Oh. Yeah, it was, he was supposed to be, uh, he raped a white woman and they, they, they tried to electrocute him, but it didn't work. And he became sort of a, a cult hero. No, not that one, that was the other the awful one. But, and then they tried to hang him and they tried to do all this stuff. And I had a lot of training day in me. And <laughs> There were some uh, Jewish people in the in the in the audition, and, and I said, "Yeah." They said, "No, it's funny. It's like they hang them and then they can't." I said, "Yeah, like you bring some Jewish people into a room and you and you they think it's a shower, but it's gas." Oh. And they said, "Right." I said, "Right. That ain't funny." Mm. So to me, it wasn't funny about putting a rope around my mf and neck <laughs> either. I made a point. The guy was like, "Who the hell was this little nigga?" <laughs> like this. So anyway, make a long story long. <laughs> I, I called Sydney and I was sick because he told me to call him. If I, you know, I call, I was, I said, man, they offered me $600,000 to play the nigga you, they, they couldn't kill. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to tell you what to do. He said, I'm not going to tell you that, Denzel. He says, but I can tell you this. The first two or three or four films you do in this business will dictate how you're perceived in yes. this business. Mm -hmm. So you make a decision. You know, he didn't tell me what to do, and I give him credit for that. And I turned it down, and six months later, I got Cry Freedom uh. and got an Oscar nomination. So it could have gone an entirely, you know, you, you never know. Mm -hmm. It could have gone, my whole yeah, career could have sure. gone an entirely different way, well, a different way. Okay, yeah. Davis? And all the Jewish people now, I mean, <laughs> just making a point. But I was dead serious about yeah. that, because they were laughing. Everything. Like, oh, no, it's funny. They electrocute them, and then they, yeah. I could just... Yeah, and they thought that was funny. They thought that was funny. And see, this is why black folks are staying out their business. Whatever little wars you got and whatnot, eh, I'm good. I'm good. These were stakeholders that he was talking about, some of these Jewish folk. They had control. They were stakeholders. So he was letting them know, man, look, man, this ain't right. This ain't right. I, I don't want to be in a situation like that. Just see the poster with me with a rope around my neck. <laughs> you know, that's, I just had dreams about it. Like, I have a question. <laughs> that wacky guy they tried to kill. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't really have a problem with him doing a role like that. They didn't have no issue with that. I asked somebody the other day. I was like, yo, if a black director 
rest in peace john singleton if john somebody like john singleton or if uh what's the brother that did the shooter and um ah what's his name hold on anton fuqua now anton fuqua he did training day he did vape tears of the sun king arthur shooter brooklyn's finest equalizer south paul magnificent seven equalizer three i gotta watch that i didn't know he, okay okay um let's say that let's say that brother had did a movie about jewish people in nazi germany And he put all and 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 he just put some BS in there. If he had some Jewish women just twerking or something like that, man, they'd have a fit. They might find him in the, they might find that dude in a river somewhere. They not gonna play about that. They gonna make sure that they narrative and that their story and their history. Like if he gets, if he had a whole bunch of women gets in in Auschwitz, well, we, they gonna twerk and we gonna throw Sukiana and Sexy Red in there or something like that. Man, please, that ain't happening. So that's how we want our narrative when we want our story told right. We want our story told right. Because what we end up having, this is what we end up having. We, we end up having folks do this. Now listen to this, L listen to this. You guys have probably heard this video for a minute. Check this out. Who's smarter, Americans? Definitely not. No. <laughs> really? Black people don't even know what country they come from. Now you heard what she said. She said black people don't even know what country they come from. Now this, now this lady here, she's not, she's not in her homeland. And she's saying, well, we don't know where we, we come from. We have a lot of our ancestors that are right from here. Now, as far as Africa, I don't know how far we could trace back because we've been stripped of that. But we could talk about our history here. But look, look, but look how a lot of Negroes outside of America look at us. Who's smarter, Americans? Definitely not. No. <laughs> really? Black people don't even know what country they come from. I said black people down there don't even know what country they come from. So what country you come from? Me. Now she said black people don't know what country they come from. So in her mind, she's thinking, just like her little white friend sitting here, I'm not black. Country they come from. So what country you come from? Me, a few. I'm African and Caribbean. So you come from a couple different countries. So you have a, what, what do you have a dual allegiance? Pick a side. You can't be a blood and a crip. <laughs> Pick a side. She says, I'm from several. Then he asks, look, look, look how he breaks her down. Where, where are you from? They come from? So what country you come from? Me, a few. I'm African and Caribbean. Where were you born? Here. So if your kids are born here, where are they from? Huh? From London, but ethnic. Hold on, uh, ethnically don't matter. After four, he does. Matter. That's what we mean. Okay. Americans, they're born there. But that isn't that ignorant to say it. No, we, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You, you think that was a choice? 
Well, if they decided to ask their mum where they're from. My mom was born in America. Well, she should at least know. My grandmother's born in America. She should at least know. How? Slavery was a crazy thing. Do you think do you think that was a choice? Of course not. So how can you say that? Like seriously. How can you say that though? Like Yeah, but we know from at least in America they don't know anything they just say they're from like California or somewhere but hold on Af after five or six generations and building up America don't you think we own America and, and and see this brother's laying it on her this is this is this is the disconnect that we're talking about this is why a lot of black Americans are like okay wait a minute we gonna have to we gonna have to separate from some niggas here we gonna have to because it's too many it's too many niggas that's on that. Now, mind you, she ain't in the Caribbean and she ain't in Africa. So who's patriotic? That's our home. Well, would there be an America if there weren't black people there? I don't think that matters. It does matter because without black people in America. Now, her no white friend says it doesn't matter. And she's letting her say that. She's letting her say that. So who's colonized? I don't think that matters. It does matter because without black people in America, there's no America. <laughs> and they both just looked at each other. This brother, uh, Adonis Live, content creator. I, I, he's, he be taking some of these coons to task. He takes some of these tethers to task. He, he be asking them questions like, okay, you know, and that's the thing, man, is... We got way too much of that going on. See, this is the stuff that we got going on. This is see, we, we have a history. This is what our folks have to deal with while they're up there talking slick. Men work in the fields in the sweltering Louisiana heat, watched over by armed guards and wolf dog hybrids. This is the biggest maximum wolf dog hybrids. So remember, I think it was it Haiti or somewhere in the Caribbean or I and, and I think here too in America, where they had these dogs, slave catching dogs. I don't remember what the dogs, the name of what the dogs were, but I think that those dogs are now, they've been extinct. But let me look up the name. The black media covered it a long time ago. They're called, uh, what's it, Block Scotch? Uh, what were they called? Mongrel? Cuban Mastiff. I believe they were called Cuban Mastiffs. They used to actually call them Negro dogs. They used to actually call these things Negro dogs. Slave hounds. They were very, very savage dogs that they used to catch black folks. Oh, Dogo Cubanos. That's what they were called. They were called Dogo Cubanos. So they were considered extinct since the 19th century. I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled up some DNA or something and tried to make those. But yeah, they were used... Um. They're saying that there's no reports that there's no pure Dogo Cubanos remaining. 
Yeah, I'm looking at the Dogo Cubano, the Cuban Bloodhound. Then they were used for dog fighting. And they were introducing Cuba to capture runaway slaves called Cimarrones or Cimarroons. So in respect to the Maroons, I believe. Now there was a painting in 1861. There was a painting in 1861 um, where a brother has a hatchet and he's protecting um, his wife from these dogs. He killed one of the dogs and he's attacking the other ones. So that that's what I'm saying. This is this is what we had to deal with. And you could tell whoever her folks were. I don't know who where her folks were from, but she ain't got that she ain't got that spirit. Security prison in the United States and one of the most dangerous. The Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola is located an hour's journey north of Baton Rouge. The prison began as an actual plantation at which enslaved black people pick the same crops that the prisoners do under similar conditions today. Now, they're still paying people nothing to work on that farm. Angola is humongous. Now, we're going to walk through this. In modern times, the prison population is 74% black. Field work is the default job for most prisoners at Angola, and switching over to other jobs is difficult. For their labor, prisoners earn as little as two cents per hour. The high end of their income might reach 40 cents. Refusing to work or not working fast enough can earn inmates time in solitary confinement. So they'll give you solitary confinement where you could possibly die or go insane, if not both. And he asked her, you heard what he asked her. It doesn't matter. Anything. They just say they're country from, at least in America, they don't know anything. They just say they're from like California or somewhere. But hold on, after five or six generations in building up America, don't you think we own America? That's our home? Well, Would there be an America if there weren't black people there? I don't think that matters. You don't think that matters? And prisoners have been known to pass out from dehydration. So this, this particular job, it's not one of the more uh, desired ones. No, this light is. And keep in mind, y'all, that's the same white chick that that'll slut out a black man and say, "Oh, it does, it doesn't matter." And like I say, this is her friend. This is her little goofy immigrant coon friend. That's from. She says she's from Africa and Caribbean. See, black folks over here, we don't have the luxury to deny what I'm getting ready to play for you right now. We don't. We don't have it. We don't have it. See, you could flee to London and get you a little white friend to say it doesn't matter. No, we can't deny this right here in Angola. On top of that, some businesses avoided shutdowns during the COVID-19 pandemic by using convicts from Angola and other penitentiaries. If that wasn't enough to mark Angola down as a grueling place to serve time, there's also a lack of medical care, high rates of suicide, drug overdoses, and abysmal living and working conditions. Fair use, YouTube. This conditions is from the Atlantic. So severe, in fact, that a prison union staged a peaceful work stoppage in 2018 to demand changes. It was put down within the day. Besides its large size and its brutal working policies, Angola Prison has a reputation for danger. The facility houses violent criminals in a setting with a reputation for inmate-on-inmate -inmate brutality. They are watched over by underpaid guards and vicious wolf-dog hybrids. 
According to the Daily Beast, Angola has been called the bloodiest prison in America. And in many cases, it's those guards to blame for the So you had guards, you had guards that were setting things up for murders and killings and whatnot. Men um, were man, please. I don't want to hear. That's why I say I, I have a zero tolerance. Ain't nobody going to say nothing slick about us. We didn't put in too much work. We didn't made this country a damn world power. And then you have cases like this to this day. Now, this is in Mississippi. This brother got a video of a Mississippi cop that had a black man hanging in his yard, like a, a black, not a statue, but like a... Uh, he had like a black where, you know, not a statue, but you know, like where they, he got the pants and the, you know, he tried to make it seem, I, I don't know what they like, not a, scare, a scarecrow or something like that. Now, now this was a cop. Now I'm looking at the video. Somebody just happened to be going across. I don't know what town this is in. I don't know what town this is in. I don't know. But he is a black man hanging in his yard. Not a real person, but you know, he had a uh Let me, let me try to blow this up a little bit and see, try to see it a little better. So it was like a black scarecrow. Hanging in his yard. And the question that people have is how many black men do you think he's arrested by planning evidence or arrested on made up charges and wrongfully convicted? That's a good question. That's an excellent question. That is an excellent question because you have to assume this dude is up to no good. Now, this is what happens when you let us alone and you have a good family that's making sure that a young black child is getting all of the education and the information they need. This is a young brother. Now listen to him speak. He's like four years, maybe six or something, or four. Thank you for having me. I am here to speak to you about the importance and benefits of reading. I personally read every day and absolutely love the adventure of reading. I will stand before you and speak with confidence and not be afraid. Reading every day has made me smarter. Reading has also strengthened my vocabulary and language skills, allowing me to pronounce 
new and big words without even thinking about it. Reading has incredibly enriched my long-term memory. Enhancing ideas, thoughts, and problem-solving skills. Reading allowed the kids daily and helping them develop or deliver these skills is one of the most important things parents and teachers can do. Although books are excellent tools for reading, is one of the best tools for knowledge. Kids should be encouraged to cultivate their imagination and find. Thank you for having me. Now, your commander-in-chief needs to take note. The commander-in-chief should take note. So they say this video is over five years old. So he looks like he might have been around maybe four or five. Vocabulary is impeccable. He's able to enunciate and pronounce his words correctly. He don't sound like some mumble mouth Popeye's chicken. He, he, yeah, he, he, see, that's the threat right here. That's the threat. Not Sukiana and Sexy Red. <laughs> yeah, that, that ain't no threat. No, 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 no. That ain't no threat. No, we need something a little smoother. That, that ain't no threat. There we go. They're not, see, they're worried about this. Young, black, intelligent man that can actually get some things going. They're very concerned about that. And they, they were concerned about folks like this. Names Orville and Wilbur Wright are mentioned. The beginning of aviation is often the thought that follows, but history is changing and it may be time to add another name to that conversation. He's doing something that virtually no other person in world history did, and he did it here in Pineville. Meet Charles Frederick Page, a black man born into slavery that taught himself how to read and write, but more impressively, according to local historian Michael Wynn, patented the first airship. It's a story that it truly is unbelievable, and not only unbelievable that it happened, unbelievable that it's being ignored until 2023. Wynn has uncovered local newspaper articles and reports from 1904 recording the outstanding feat of flight by a black man and his airship. His research even further led him to find Charles F. Page's patent predates that of the Wright brothers. I think Page deserves that whenever the Wright brothers are mentioned, Page should also be mentioned to some extent in our national history books. The innovative accomplishments of Page are not only confirmed by historical record, but have lived on through family lore. And Joseph Page, Frederick's grandson, is glad his accomplishments are finally being recognized. 
for our grandfathers that finally be recognized for his contribution to aviation. It's a significant event, not just for our family, but I think for Central Louisiana. The city of Pineville unveiled a historical landmark in honor of Frederick Page on the land that he and his family have owned since he purchased it over a hundred years ago. Pineville Mayor Rich Dupree has known the Page's name since the early 2000s for economic additions to the property, and now he shares the unveiling of history with them. We, we need to remember where we come from, and history uh, is uh, unveiled today in a very special way in the city of Pineville. History for Central Louisiana is changing, and Joseph Page hopes it changes elsewhere as well. Uh, you hear about uh, the invention of the airplane, you immediately think about Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, and Wright Brothers. But you never heard of Charles Frederick Page and Pineville, Louisiana. Now, Pineville has a historical marker honoring Charles Frederick Page for his innovation and contributions to the community of Pineville. As for the airship Page patented in 1906, there is no surviving model because as Page was sending his model to St. Louis for a world convention, Wynn says it was presumably destroyed. It was shipped and something happened. Now, due to the Jim Crow prejudice of that time, we firmly believe that it was stolen and destroyed. After the destruction of the airship, Page changed route due to the racial obstacles of the time and reportedly went about his life no longer pursuing aviation excellence, but rather excellence for his community and family, including future descendants like Daryl Davidson. It's very obvious that there were barriers and challenges that kept other people from making it as far as he even did. Pineville's recognition of Page marks history for Central Louisiana, but it also sends a message people should remember about history. The message here is that there really is only one history. That one history is what unites everybody together and gets us farther as human beings. Brandon Brown, ABC 31 News, that works for you. And they sent out the Negro, of course. When the name's Orville and Wilbur Wright. When they sent it, yeah, they sent him out and he starts talking in these little vague terms. I hate it when these political Negroes, I, I hate it when these political Negroes get to talking all that. Maybe he's the mayor or something. That's, he wants to doctor it up. I guess he wants to doctor it up, man. So, but yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. You said, we don't know where we, we don't know where we come from. See, that's where we come from. We come from that kind of spirit. Inventing planes and stuff like that. I bet she can't name nobody in her last 150 years invent nothing like that in her family history. See, this is this is the spirit that we come from. Motherfucker, with my my grandmama passed. This motherfucker, my grandmama helped him build a, a fucking her and everybody else in congregation. Helped him build a whole fucking wing on his church. Then she died. He talking about, well, I don't know if we can have a funeral here. I said, if you don't have that motherfucker here, you won't have another one. Because I'm going to burn this bitch down. <laughs> I told him right to his face. He said, son, what you say? I said, I'm going to burn this bitch down. If you don't have my grandmother's a funeral in this bitch. After she didn't gave you all my grandfather's money for all these fucking 50 years she's been coming here. And you telling me she ain't having her funeral here? 
Won't be near enough one in this motherfucker because I'm going to burn this bitch down and I got gas in the car because I know you's an ignorant motherfucker. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We ain't going to go through all that. We'll, we'll, we'll have it here. Just gonna... And my father and my auntie just sat there like, you do it. That funeral was that Saturday. What the fuck you mean you ain't gonna preach her funeral and she been coming up here with this ignorant ass shit for 50 years giving you all my grandfather's money while he waited out in the car because he knew you was full of shit but he loved his wife so he brought her and gave her the money to get your bitch ass and now you talking about you ain't gonna give her her funeral here? I said man I'll burn this bitch down in the daytime <laughs> I told that motherfucker I said I'll burn that bitch down in the daytime like that motherfucker with my my grandmama passed. Yeah, see, that's that foundational spirit. Don't, don't be playing with us. We don't know who we are, man. Please. We got riders everywhere, man. See, we we don't have that. We yeah, we don't we don't generally do like what that what that coon did. You sit there and let their little race soldier friend talk slick. You see what I'm saying? We don't do that. See, I, I got to bring out, I got to start bringing out I got to start bringing out audio and all kind of receipts and things of that nature. Let's play this old update and took it up. They took it offline. Old X. We don't know where you say you don't, we don't know anything about each other and all that. See, that's why we got folks copying us doing this shit. This is why we got folks doing this. Yeah, it ain't the other way around, Jack. It ain't, it ain't the other way around. Curry trap music. Curry trap music. Now there's something here. And I got to look into, it's supposed to be a really, really long, it's supposed to be like 400 pages or something like that. Now, I'm, I'm gonna play it real quick. Are single mothers the new government target? Project 2025 doesn't just demonize single mothers. It wants to change policies to punish single moms and perhaps even remove children from single parent households. Don't take my word for it, let me show you. Their top priority is promise number one, restoring the family as the centerpiece of American life. And they specifically call out unmarried mothers as a reason that the American family is in crisis. 400 pages later, when you get to their section on the Department of Health and Human Services, you see that they want to rewrite what the definition of a family is to be comprised of a married mother and father and their children. I have no problem with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We got to get these Sukiyani sexy reds about the mix. 
We yeah, we got to get that. I'm talking about just for for black people's concern. This this is going to increase the the vetting process. Now here's the here's the problem. The issue with this whole 2020 project 2025 thing is they're going to be attacking because see what does that mean? What does that mean for um what does that mean if you're a parent and let's say you're a dad and then you got your kids and they say, okay, well, the mother ain't around or something like that. Or, you know, how is that really going to work? You know what I'm saying? How, 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 how does that work? And this is right wing conservative policy. Now, what I've been trying to find out is information a little bit of information. So I'm seeing something online where they say something about the plan proposes slashing the U.S. Department of Justice funding. The DOJ doesn't doesn't really do anything for us. The DOJ has actually been undermining black people, but see that we are the measuring stick when it comes to somebody to, 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 to things happening. So then it says dismantling the FBI and the department of Homeland security, eliminating the cabinet departments of education and commerce. Um, I'm gonna have to look into this a little deeper. Outlaw, they said they want to outlaw pornography. I don't know how that'll work. You know how prohibition worked. Prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sexual, let me see. Let's continue. Saying that currently Health and Human Services is too focused on LGBTQ plus equity and subsidizing single motherhood. And saying that these policies should be... Yeah, they, they don't need to subsidize single motherhood. Who rat whorehouse culture needs to be removed. See, we, we were fine in the early 1900s with Tulsa and all that. We, we don't need it. See, anything to get rid of the Sukiyana, sexy reds, hellcat, whorehouse mentality, I'm all for it. It really doesn't help us. The, the, the problem with this is this, is we know that when these when they start enacting these policies... All it's really going to do, it's going to attack black people, black women first and foremost. And other people going to get hit with the shrapnel. That's that's the only drawback I might have on some of this stuff. Because I know it's going to be some, some funny time stuff that's going to be attacking us. 
be repealed and replaced by policies that support the formation of stable married nuclear families. It's not enough to be uh, heterosexual, by the way, because they also call out homes with non-related boyfriends as being one of the most dangerous places for a child. Well, you know what? Looking at a lot of the cases that I've been covering, specifically in St. Paul, um, I know the the uh, the dude. They say that he punched his child and killed him over a thing of cheesecake or something like that. I don't know if they were married or not, but that was his own child. But I, I've seen I've seen some cases. For the most part, most black men don't be doing stuff like that to their kids. It's it's isolated cases and whatnot. But you know, generally, most black men that are around their children, they love their children. You know what I'm saying? Um, but when these hood rats start, just they just move a dude in and all that kind of stuff, and that's where it starts to get into some weird stuff. And they don't much like surrogacy either. In the context of emerging reproductive technologies, Health and Human Services should never place the desire of adults over the right of a child to be raised by the biological fathers and mothers who conceived them. Here's a horrifying paragraph. The Secretary of Health and Human Services anti-discrimination policy statements should never conflate sex with gender identity or sexual orientation. Rather, the Secretary should proudly state that men and women are biological realities that are crucial to the advancement of life sciences and medical care and that married men and women are the ideal... Yeah. Yep. I agree 100%. Absolutely. Natural family structure because all children have a right to be raised by the men and women who can see. They should. They also want to promote reunification as a part of child support, which is terrifying for domestic violence survivors. We'll see now. Now, here's the now. Okay, wait a minute. If you got two people that are going to cut each other's throat, um,. I don't know if they should be reunited. And they want to institute a healthy marriage and relationship education program uh, in every state level high school in America with curriculum on healthy marriages. Oh, I wasn't kidding about child support either. Child support in the United States should strengthen marriage as the norm, restore broken homes and encourage unmarried couples to commit to marriage. There's also a line in here that basically says that if you're the parent of a transgender child that that is child abuse that is child abuse because that child is too young to know that they want a damn sex change yeah yep yeah now check this out meanwhile U.S. are working in some of the most dangerous jobs in the country. What's more, private auditors assigned to root out unlawful labor practices often overlook child labor. Laura Barone-Lopez has more. 
A recent New York Times investigation found auditors failed to identify child migrants working at production warehouses used by some of America's most recognizable brands, including Skittles, McDonald's, and Gerber. In addition, the most common job for migrant children coming to the U.S. is also one of the most hazardous, roofing and construction, despite federal law prohibiting anyone under 18 from doing so. Hannah Dreyer of the New York Times joins me now. Hannah, thanks so much for being here. You reviewed private audits uh, conducted at 20 production facilities for well-known brands. What did those audits reveal about the use of illegal child labor? So at all of these production facilities, there were children working usually the night shift with fake IDs doing jobs that are totally off limits for minors. These are industrial jobs. So here's, here's yet another reason why they're bringing a lot of legal aliens in. This is very unfortunate, however. You're putting children to work in dangerous environments, probably to give them a plantation slave labor sharecrop deal. They're not going to pay them probably the normal price. I think they'll pay them under the table. And then they're not able probably to get any health benefits if something happens to them. So there's some devious plans on the number one thing is I think to deplete the American economy of our resources to weaken the American infrastructure. Replacing the black vote is the next thing. It's not working out very well right now, but they're trying to undermine the black social economic power structure. That's the next thing. That's what I think the next thing is. Because if they could replace us, as Dr. Claude Anderson said, from a labor force, and he warned us about this many, many years ago, he talked about this a long time ago. Let me see if I can find it. This is from 10 years ago. Is now, this what's, what's going to drive us into this underclass structure? First of all, are the legacies of slavery and Jim Crowism. We are still bearing the burdens and the scars. They were never corrected. That's one of the failings of our leadership in this country. They had the nerve, the audacity to let black folks suffer for 460 years. And at the end of the civil rights movement, rather than going back and saying, let's find out what has happened to black folk for 460 years. Have they been psychologically, emotionally, politically, educationally damaged? Nobody spent one minute of time trying to figure out what had happened to black folk over all that period of time. So in the course of the civil rights movement, the end of it, they say, well, let's pretend that nothing has happened to them, that they were not injured, they were not hurt. And now let's go seek integration and pretend that we're all equal. Now that was grossly unfair because by that point in time and by the 1966 period, whites had become economic giants in America. They owned and controlled everything at that point in time. Black folk didn't own anything. Whites controlled almost 100% of all the wealth, the income, the privileges, the businesses, the resources, and all levels of government. 
Blacks had nothing. Blacks were one-foot midgets. And they allowed us then to use integration to walk from our communities, from our ghettos, over in their communities. Totally disarmed, not understanding anything, blind, naked, and then saying that you can go and compete. Compete with what? And that's what the whole thing will be about this morning. You gotta change the way you're seeing and thinking and behaving. Why? Because I said we've been locked into an underclass structure because we've got two major problems in America. One problem is that maldistribution of wealth and resources that I told you about that's in South Africa and America where whites own and control everything. That's your number one problem. The second problem we're going to talk about this morning is the inappropriate behavior pattern of black folk. So they want to reinstitute a, an apartheid state. I was working assembly lines, working with caustic chemicals at slaughterhouses. And despite the fact that there were private auditors sent explicitly to try to find out if these plants were using child labor, these kids were missed every single time. How did the companies respond to your investigation that these children were missed repeatedly? You know, I've been covering migrant child labor for the past almost two years now, and we have uncovered children working these kinds of jobs in all 50 states. And every time I've gone to the companies, and said, you know, McDonald's, why were children making the pork in your sandwiches? Or Gerber, why they were know. children working overnight on your baby food products? They say, well, that can't possibly have happened because we have auditors in place who are supposed to be catching this stuff. Man, these auditors, that's Caparera. These auditors, they probably just come around and I don't know what the hell they do. They come around and they just do whatever. My name is Erin Kimura. I'm a fifth generation Chinese and Japanese American and a fifth generation San Franciscan. Um, I'm here today to fully support black reparations because this is the bare minimum. Period. The bare minimum. Um, history is enough of a reason. The dehumanization that we've seen is enough of a reason for why we need redress and reparations now. Um, this is not an impossible reality, right? We've seen this with the Japanese Americans in the late 1980s. They received on a federal level reparations. And the fact that black folks and our black community and our brothers and sisters are still waiting for a formal apology. Oh, we. I'm just going to leave that there just to simmer. Um, and I just really want to note, especially as an Asian American woman, I would not be here if it were not for the black liberation struggle, the black freedom fighters, culture creators, and the world builders that have fought for my liberation. So. Thank you. My name is Erin Kimura. And they, they cut her off. You see how they cut her off at the end? And that's why when folks say, that's why when folks start talking about, well, hey, um, you need to help fight for us and you need to start fighting for, no, 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 we're good. The whole black community. Now this is, you know, I'm not a big fan on pastors, but he was going in. Tyler Perry fooled the whole black community. He got us to do what RuPaul couldn't get us to do. He got us to do what no one else, and he came up with an ingenious way to do it. He, he and he alone got black folk to accept drag. And you know how he did it? He did it through laughter, through humor. He got us to accept drag queens. That's all Madea is, is a drag queen. 
And you know what? Here's the thing. I was just talking to shout out to Stack Dope, man. Shout out, shout out to Stack Dope, man. Stack Dope with a budget, a burgeoning, a burgeoning business, and a fresh SS out the shop. We were talking about how the black church now is a club. At one point, especially in the early 1900s, the black church was a symbol and a representation of black empowerment to a certain degree, of course. I always talk about the movie Vernon Jones. Vernon Jones. Was his name Vernon Jones? No, no, that's a polit- that's some politician. But it was this dude, and he kind of, he broke this down. No, this is some other, this is some, this is some political Negro. His name was Vernon, and he was a pastor. Damn, man, let me see, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones played the movie, the Vernon Johns. I'm sorry, Vernon Johns. Let me not get. Yeah, he's not Vernon Jones. Let me. He was not Vernon Jones. Let me not get that Vernon Johns. Vernon Johns was 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 going off. You got to think. Uh, Martin Luther King was the next preacher. Vernon Johns was the next preacher. Now, I want to play this real quick. Real quick. Brother Hill, what do you see? I see a grocery store. What do you see? I see a... Fair use, YouTube. (laughs) No. Brother Hill, what do you see? I see a grocery store. What do you see? I see a whole mess of Negro dollars going into white pockets. Now look at that. They'll take our money, but they despise us so much, they will not touch our hands in the exchange. Now, I tell people that this James Earl Jones, James Earl Jones is a writer. The James Earl Jones movie, this movie that James Earl Jones had did, I'm going to have to go, I'm going to have to go and buy this movie. I'm going to have to do the Vernon Johns um, analysis, I see. Because the stuff that he was talking about, he came from a generation where he could see that it was a lot of Samboism and integrationalism. He seen where it was going. He said, okay, we, we got some scared plantation Negroes that don't really want to put power in their own hands for the benefit of the group. They want to put it in they want to put a couple bucks and crumbs in their own hands for the benefit of individualism and for them to have a Cadillac and have white acceptance. They weren't really interested in producing anything or changing the so the social economic discourse um and the social economic uh infrastructure for themselves and their community. They were not interested in that. That's why he had so many issues with some of the board directors of the church because he was talking like this money is power brother hill you ain't lying and why are we 
turning over our power to people who despise us. But Dr. Johns, the members of our congregation are professional people. They're not business-oriented. Yeah. So they're professional people. They're not business-oriented. You see this Sambo spirit that is in the con in, that is in the congregation. There was a point where he was talking about they were sending they were wanting to sing some old Negro spiritual, but they were too good for it. And he had a bunch of sambos that was in there talking, and he had to check them and say, "Man, are y'all are y'all afraid? Are are, are y'all um ashamed to be descended to the slaves?" These Negroes were actually ashamed. They were ashamed. And that's our biggest mistake. Right now, we are only consumers. If we're only consumers, we're parasites. Do you want a definition of perpetual motion? Oh, he goes Give off here. Give the average Negro a Cadillac. Man. And tell him to park it on some land that he owns. <laughs> If gold was discovered in the hottest regions of hell, the whites would be there within a fortnight, mining it for all its wealth. The coloreds would show up three weeks later, offering their services as maids and butlers. The thing to do is to get there first, but we don't think that way. Just to show you what can be done on a small parcel of land, I grew these at the parsonage. Now keep now I got I got to do analysis of that I have to I, I got to I'm gonna have to do one bits and pieces all the way through it I'm gonna have to he grew some carrots and folks was laughing thinking it was goofy and he was trying to show these Negroes something. The reason why I bring this little mini analysis up before I play, I get the preacher going where he's calling out Perry. You see what I'm saying? For his infiltration into the Cadillac and big hat, hallelujah ass nigga con con uh, congregation is because there's been a lot of infiltration. It's been a lot of Negro infiltration in the black church. They're basically saying you could be a broken burly buck. You could be a whorehouse hood rat. Shout out to Planned Parenthood, Megan Thee Stallion. And uh, what's that congressional black caucus lady? One of the main ones. You know, you could be that. You could just be a baby mama. You could just be a plan B damn baby mama. Go have 50 abortions. Be a dusty ass nigga and praise the Lord. And the Bible speaks directly against that. And they just will come as you are and leave as you are and don't have no code of conduct and just just run just run with it. And that and 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 now it's just a club. It's a club of a bunch of dancing Negroes is playing an organ and then dark the dark wing duck the question deacon. They don't have anything that that's how, that's how you got a TD Jakes. That's how you got a Creflo dollar. That's how you got a Bishop Eddie long Bishop buck break long. 
You know what I'm saying? That that that's how you had a bishop buck break long, and they despise brothers like this. Left the roots and the tops on to prove they are not store bought. Now you can see the mammy right here. She's on the organ. You can see the mammy. She's rolling her eyes. Because she's like, oh, I'm one of these professional Negroes. I don't, I'm professional, but I don't know anything about business. Nigga, how are you professional when you don't know anything about business? How are you professional when you don't know nothing about business? So she's rolling her Stars eyes. Prove they are not store bought. The Bible tells us that a feast is made for laughter. Wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Now, what does that mean? It means that whoever controls the money has all the answers. You get control of the money by producing. Negroes need to own more businesses, and Negroes need to patronize those businesses. By the way, I noticed that some of you were staring at my feet this morning. Because I had neglected to wear shoestrings. Well, I'll start wearing them when Negro folks start producing them. Now, they thought, let's go back to Dr. Claude Anderson. They thought it was a sham. Oh, man, this he's just preaching and he's just going on and on and on. Meanwhile, Billy Bob on the other side of town was doing exactly that. Those are the only two problems you have. I don't care what anybody else talks about in America. It's not worthwhile wasting your time. The problem in America is not drug abuse, crime, low-income housing, public housing, food stamps, welfare, teenage pregnancy. Those are symptoms of a problem. The symptoms are the fact that you don't own and control anything to run you and control your lives. That's the problem. And the second thing is inappropriate behavior pattern. Because a black person cannot be a racist. Bars. Racism is a power relationship between groups of people. You hear that? That's all it is. It means where one group of people have control of so much wealth and power and resource that it can deprive, hurt, and injure and exploit another group to benefit itself. Never in the history of this earth have black folk ever controlled that much resources in the, in where they can have gone out of their way to exploit, injure, and do something to whites. So therefore, racism only started in the 16th century. Bars. Let's get to the facts. See, like when I bring up the lynchings, the lynchings were due to the jealousy and the tyranny of the white supremacist saying, well, damn, y'all built Tulsa. Oh, you built Nicodemus, Kansas. You built... That's where a lot of that came from. Brothers coming home from the World War One and World War Two. Oh man, let's string these dudes up, man. They they might be able to do something. See, guerrilla warfare, military advantage, that's power. Military knowledge is power. We can't have these non-buck broken black men of leadership coming home from World War One and World War Two and being able to facilitate military warfare and understanding of military warfare. That's my conjecture on that. So, yeah, and then you coming home from the military, that subconsciously 
And the race soldier's head thinks like, okay, this Negro thinks he's a citizen. You're black. You cannot be a citizen under the system of white supremacy. You can't be a citizen. You could be my maid. You could be my butler. You could be my servant. But you can't be a man. I'm a man. That's reserved for me. I'm Billy Bob and I tell you what to do. How dare you go and get that award? How dare you uh, lead the Harlem Hellfighters um, in, in, you know, into France and kick Germany's ass and then get an award? No, you're going to come back here and you're going to sit on the back of the bus and you're not going to reap any of the benefits that you earned and that we owe. So when he's talking about racism, he's like, well, okay, yeah. You can't get a loan here. You can't get this here. You can't, you know, this is apartheid. This is literally apartheid. That was the whole point to maintain an apartheid state as long as they possibly can. And Vernon Johns was like, okay, we could try to combat the apartheid state by at least, you know, trying to earn. But a lot of those Negroes that was in that church they were just some scared plantation Negroes that just wanted to be accepted. So white mommy and white daddy, what they'll do is they'll say, all right, well, I'll just give you a job, but you're not going to control anything. You're not going to be productive. I'll just give you a little token Negro job. And the other thing, when I mentioned about the lynching, Like he said, black folks wouldn't be able to do that. No, we didn't have the power to just say, hey, B Jerome. Yeah, we know that Becky's been choosing you up and we know that Becky wants to gargle your balls and you've been breaking her back consensually. Um, that's rape. Yeah, we know. We know you didn't do it, but you know what? We got to find somebody black. Let's just find anybody. And they string you up. That's what they was doing around that time. They called that a period of what they call, I believe, the, the, the nadir or the, the nadir, the deer. And in the early 1900s, you got to think, black folks wouldn't have stood for that. Black folks wouldn't have just let somebody, oh, there's somebody that we just think did something or we just say did something and we're just going to string up some white person and just say he does something and then we're going to make postcards and then we're going to promote it and oh he's getting strung up on sunday and then people from town to town come in we've never ever in american history and probably i don't even think in world history i don't think there's any reports that's been verified tried and true in which black people globally grabbed somebody, strung them up on a tree, promoted it, saying, hey, we gonna have a hanging. They did that a lot here in America. That's why when that immigrant coon was talking about we don't know who our folks is and stuff like that, we, we know enough. These past three, 400 years in this country, we know enough. That's good enough for me. Because I know that a lot of the records far as, you know, my ancestors in Africa, maybe six, 700 years ago or whatever, I'm probably not going to get that. So you're not going to shame me into, because I may not have a, um, an ancient ancestor from Kemet 
and I don't, I, I don't know how to trace that all the way back. No, I got enough information here to be proud of Kemet, and I have enough information to be proud of the immediate th couple hundred years right here. And that's the position that I'm taking because there's so much history that could be uncovered here. There's so much history that could be uncovered right here, right here in this land. I don't like the narrative that folks are saying, well, you should just say the hell with America and what your folks have done here historically and just say, well, we got to skip all that. There's been enough that our folks have done right here in this country because see, here's the thing. The world has been colonized. There's really nowhere where I can go where it hasn't been colonized. There's really nowhere I can go where I've been, where, where it hasn't been colonized. So we have to give respect to the Vernon Johns. We don't got to idolize them. We can just say, hey, this brother put in a lot of work and we're not going to let nobody talk slick about our folks. I couldn't go to any country and say nothing slick about nobody's icon, nobody's, you know, uh, folks that put in a bunch of work. I couldn't do that. Digging Wilkes. Mm -hmm. See what our famous preacher is up to now. Now there's this old mammy. You say what our famous preacher is up to now. Now this brother's selling stuff. He he's trying to he's trying to get us economically minded. Because okay, we're we're suffering under Jim Crow. Vernon Vernon Johns. Let's look at the dates. I guess I just want to give a little backdrop on the dates here. Okay, so he was born in 1892. So that was what, roughly around 30 years after abolition, after slavery ended, which it didn't end in 1865, man. Like I said, you had the black codes. And everything. There was, we really wasn't free. So this whole, man, oh, well, we was free and everything was just fine. Man, we had to go through hell right after it. So it wasn't like, you know, our folks fought to get free as free as we could. And like I say, we, we still, we had a little bit more wiggle room, but man, after slavery, they were slaughtering black folks. So, you know, he came up under, you know, he died in 1965, June 11, 1965. So remember, he was born in 1892. So he got to really see that whole, I mean, you know, the, clan, the formation of the clan really coming forefront, you know, the world, world, world war ones, world war twos. I think Vietnam was in what? 63. When was the Vietnam war? Oh damn. I didn't know that. So the Vietnam war went from, it says Vietnam War conflict in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia from 1955 to 1975. That's that's a long. That's almost 20 years. 
with direct U.S. military involvement ending in 73. I mean, that's that's 20 years, man. That's a long time for, for that whole thing. And I, that's the next thing. Remember last time, my last broadcast, I was really covering how the World War uh, II, what was it getting that? I don't know a lot about World War One. I. I don't know a lot about World War One. I. I started learning more about World War II watching a lot of them different films and documentaries, and I'm still, I got to get back into that. I took a little break because I was just binging. I mean, I was binging. I, I, I had a whole list. If you guys check the community post, I have a whole list of films on Netflix that you could watch to understand how Nazi Germany, you know, it's a good case study. It's a good race soldier case study. It's an immaculate race soldier case study on all of the stuff was going in. A lot of the cinema, cinema, cinematography was very good too. So, but anyway, getting back to Vernon Johns. So he got to see all pretty much everything. He, yeah, he got to see everything. So, He's trying to show the black townspeople, hey, man, we, we, we could get our own stuff. We could make our own food. We could be producers. Stockings, pencils, corn. Good day, Reverend Johns. Look at all this. Buy wholesale and sell retail. Anybody can do it. Eventually, I plan to set up a store in the basement of the church. This is something my first Baptist congregation should be doing. Reverend Abernathy, between you and me, these nylon stockings are not big sellers amongst my congregation. It's a matter of modesty, the size of the thighs. Well, I'm sure the question of size would be a difficult question for the good women of Dexter. But we ain't modest in my church. I'll sell all of these nylons next time. We'll work out the details later. Great Fair idea. use, YouTube. Fair Who's use. Watermelons! Sweet, juicy watermelons! Oh, Lord. This mammy. Oh, Lord. See this? I'm telling you. Now, let me see. Let me see what his, what his wife's talking about. You are an irascible old man. Looks like we may be getting a visit from some of the good people of Montgomery. The police going by his house. Remember, Vernon Johns, before Martin Luther King even came to play, Martin Luther King was probably a teenager or maybe just a little, little older than that before he took over the church from Vernon Johns. I employ, especially all black folk, man, and anybody, but specifically black folks, Man, check out that movie. Go ahead and purchase that movie, Vernon Johns, 1994. We need to have our stuff on DVDs, too. Get that on DVD, man. You got race soldiers pulling up to his house from Montgomery. I'm going to say hello. You sit still or I'll break your arm. This is no game. Man. That may be so. But All right, here we go. Here, here go the plantation, Negroes. We're going to break... Have you seen how the whites are laughing at us? It's embarrassing. You heard that? Now, 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 was I just plebiscite babbling when I said they just wanted some white acceptance? I don't even remember this scene. 
That's all them niggas wanted. We gonna go back to Claude Anderson in a minute. Let's go back to the other preacher and let's and then let's circle back around. So and you know what he did? He went to churches. He went to church. Went to a place where he could go where you could almost guarantee folk ain't gonna be thinking. Mm. You heard what he said? Listen to this. Guarantee folk ain't gonna be thinking. You know what he did? He went to churches. He went to church, went to a place where he could go where you could almost guarantee folk ain't gonna be thinking. They won't reason, they won't nobody say, wait a minute. This man can't find an overweight black woman? You can't find a fat sister in the black church? You got to pretend to be her? You can look at it, you can, I mean, you can blind, blind for yourself and look in any direction and find a Madea. But through laughter, we let our guard down and made him a billionaire. And made him a billionaire. And through the devil learning how to manipulate our emotions and make us feel something, and we're beginning to put our color ahead of our religion. Well, with the color thing, I'm not sure what, about that. But, no, the, the brother was pretty much spot on. The brother was pretty much spot on. Here's the thing, all right? And let's get another objective point of view in that regard. Um, I'll play that in a moment. Now, when I heard about the the Perry Enterprise, now when I seen him with T.D. Jakes, I kind of knew what the deal was. Good little grooming experience, but anyway, um, we 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 haven't seen a blade, and I'm not hating. I'm taking an objective point of view. Yeah. These studios down in Atlanta and then, you know, and then buying, buying land owned by the former slaves or, or the f former slave owners. I said, OK, I, I get that. I get the symbolic gesture. I get the symbolics and all of that. And, you know. The thing is. And, and I do respect the grind. Controlling, writing your own stuff. But you don't want, because you don't want no star bigger than you, that nigga don't really want to pass the torch. You could tell he don't really want to pass the torch. When you look at most of the stuff that gets produced, he's making enough money now, and he has a studio um, that could produce. The, the, the Tyler Perry Studios should be producing stuff equivalent to what we see in go watch the movie Zone 414. You should be producing something at that level. It shouldn't just be a nigga dressed in drag and then the little short, thick neck um what's the th the, the squeaky voice thick neck nigga that's built like an Abrams tank. <laughs> Shout out to him. His wife did Take Me to the King and stuff like you know that song, that big hit she had, that gospel hit. Don't you think that we should have like a blade? 
Hit up Wesley Snipes and be like, hey, man, because didn't they do, like, um, coming to America down there at the studio or whatever? Or, you know, shouldn't be shouldn't it be, like, some uh, on your way to some Marvel type shit? Like, I'm trying to think of, like, a B-list movie w- 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 without without downing anybody's artistic um, productions. Some, oh, okay, prime example, Blumhouse. They do small budgets, but it makes big money. And the quality be on point. Why haven't we seen a science fiction or some horror movies? And it ain't got to be a horror movie or science fiction. I'm just saying that shit. It, the the quality of the pictures shouldn't still look like some BET shit. You see this little bullshit on BET Plus that the white owners, of course, the white owners have just they just throw some little bullshit together. They just throw something together and black people, we don't really expect too much because we assume, well, it's black owned. So it's just got to be some chitlin circuit shit. And when I say chitlin circuit, I don't mean like being the nook and cranny distribution and going through the underground, kind of like how Cat Williams did it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, well, we just stay on some D plus C plus production quality. It don't the bar don't never get raised. You can see a bunch of hallelujahs niggas and these little sitcoms and these these little TV dramas where the wig looks like it's falling off and all this little noticeable little shit that, that you don't really see in Hollywood too much. And you know what? We not gonna use the excuse. Well, DP they just using what they can. We not gonna use the chicken shit, chicken sandwich excuse. Well, you know they just making uh, chicken shit out of a chicken sandwich, and that's all they can do. Man, you got underground. For example, what's that film? Now it was on Amazon, but I could kind of tell it. It wasn't no the nanny. That wasn't no billion billion dollar film. That wasn't no billion, billion dollar film. I I did a I did a report. They tried to give it like a, a, a low thing, but they had this sister that was she was an immigrant. She was she was an immigrant, and, and there's no disrespect. There's no disrespect there at all. But I think this this her name was Anna Di. Um she's from from Senegal and she was on an Amazon original. She was on an Amazon original. I did a review for that. Now it was a pretty decent film. Now, even you look, even the the first ratings, people saying gorgeous film production wise, it is essentially a masterclass on how to properly light dark skin for the camera. The composition of each slot is so carefully executed, making a skillful use of the thirds and all of the dolly shots and pans are blah, 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 blah. Now the movie is a psychological horror movie. And the person that directed it, was Nick Yatu Juzu. Another person, they said they were born in Atlanta, Sierra Leone parents. Um, That was the director that did it. And then Anna Diop, 
She's from Senegal. She was on uh, Everybody Hates Chris. You know, um, yeah, the nanny. It's called nanny. My point is what I'm trying to make, man. They don't even have the budget on Wikipedia. But Blumhouse was run one of the production companies. It was a bunch of production companies, but Blumhouse Television was one of the production companies. My point is this. It should be at this quality at this point. It should be at this quality at this point. When you look at some of the it's not well BT Plus is not white owned. It's white owned now, but I'm just saying, let's just pretend a nigga owned it. The movies should be at that. They should be that good. Some people say they didn't like the the nanny, but I'm saying the cinematography was incredible. It was immaculate. But you could tell. You could still tell that it wasn't no movie that hit the big, 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 big theater. But the quality could have been that. But it, you know, it's a psychological horror. It just didn't have that super, super, super stardom feel. But the quality was good. It was great. And like the guy says, hey, you done fooled us. You you still got all them old church holes. I'm going to say it. Damn. You still got all them old church holes that's breaking their neck to go see a Tyler Perry film. When it's like blasphemy. If we want to take the religious route, I'm just saying. If we're going to take an objective point of view and take the religious route, the, the man dressed in a drag, y'all ain't even supposed to be supporting that. Now, yeah, it's a movie, but the whole, all, all of the movies, 90% of his movies, the nigga dressed up as a big back, wide linebacker back Medea. And like he said, he could have had somebody play that, but he wanted to play the role. So he wouldn't have to pay nobody. And then he owns all the rights. Now let's go back to the Vernon Johns film. They are calling him. The watermelon man. That may be so, but everything he sells, we put on our own tables. And half the proceeds are going back into Dexter's coffers. See? We needn't debase ourselves for a few pennies. Every stereotype we've worked hard to rise above is being thrown in our faces. Can you argue with that, Deacon Hill? But they're laughing even more that the black church and the res- and the the residents of the black church see what they've used, what they were able to do. And you could see that this has occurred early on is they were able to use the black church. Margaret Sanger used to talk to some black, black teachers. You got to think she hooked up with the Klan and was doing lectures with them. She was going to black. She was probably a white liberal. I bet you she was a white liberal. I bet you sisters, if any sisters are reaching my voice right now, I bet she was one of these little Beckys that she might have a black boyfriend or she might have a little Arabian boyfriend or whatever the case may be. And it's POC diversity. Oh, you know, George Floyd. Oh, look what happened to George Floyd. Look what happened to George. We need to, we need to have reflection and all this. And then soon as you like, Hey, you know, can I, can I get a raise? Can I make as much money as the white women at the job? Oh, you know, Sharkeisha. Sharkeisha, you just, you know, 
you know, can you change your hair? And, uh, you know, you're kind of form-fitting. I mean, you know, this ass is so big. And she's like, well, I can't change the size of my, my hips and stuff. If my shit's popping, it's popping. Well, you know, the, the men are looking, and it just makes people uncomfortable. And you're looking at her like, okay, I'm doing my job. I haven't had any write-ups. I haven't had any problems. I'm doing my job. I'm doing my work. There's no issue. So she starts bringing in all this old, I hate to be used to come up with a term, these uh, uh, the, these trans-Caucasian babble terms. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They start coming up with all kinds of new words and, and all these different features and and all this stuff that, that you don't have. You're like, okay, where did this come from? I'm talking about a raise for the production and the performance you know, of my work. And she starts talking about you need to hide your locks and you need to straighten your hair and all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that that's my point. You you might end up with a Margaret Sanger. See, these Negroes are concerned about, well, people calling them the watermelon man. Man, do you know they calling y'all more than that? They like, man, these niggas is going to vote for us. They going to vote for us guaranteed. Um, They going to maintain an iron fist on making sure there's no economic power base amongst the black church. And that is much, much worse than somebody calling you the damn watermelon man. The watermelon man is selling. And that's what the deacon was telling them. No, it's embarrassing. But I understand the point he's trying to make. Perhaps it's not the best example. Dr. Johns has forgotten that Dexter Avenue Baptist Church is our church, not his. So he walks in. Dr. Johns, we request that you stop selling produce in front of the church. It's undignified. Was it undignified? That our Savior Jesus Christ was a carpenter? Mm, Gentlemen, see? I have a duty to provide you with the gospel, but I have a right to provide you with food. As far as I'm concerned, I will sell anything except whiskey and contraceptives. Matter of fact, I get 40 calls about beets and turnips for every one I get about religion. Good day, gentlemen. There you go. There you go, man. I'm going to do an analysis about that. I've been talking about that for a minute. Let's go back into this here. When you began to commercialize slavery against blacks, that's when racism started. There was no such thing as racism before that. The other thing, and, and before I get into my presentation, you got to understand racism also comes from the word race. Race means group. So whenever you hear people talking about now, uh, you cannot prove racism because somebody fired you from a job. They are absolutely right. And the power structure and all the white think tanks in Washington know that. That's why you can no longer prove racism. Because racism does not apply to an individual. It applies to a group. Now, mind y'all, I want you to understand, Dr. Claude Anderson was, as far as I'm concerned, he was in his prime. Okay? Dr. Claude Anderson, I would say that he was pretty much in his prime. And he had gray hairs at this time. But he was sharp. 
and he was concise and he was able to communicate what he had to say, not just with plebiscite babble. He wasn't talking about getting reparations from Mars and all this old dumb shit. This is, you got to think he was a, Claude Anderson is um, a forensic political analyst. So he's able to look at everything that happened wrong with facts and then produce solutions into what will resolve it because he sees he was in politics. He was able to see what all what the dominant society did. So he's saying that he's in his church, a room full of black folks. And they sitting there and they're kind of listening. But you could you could tell that from that conversation, not a lot came out of that when they walked out that door. And that's why I played the Vernon Johns audio. That's why I played it. Because you wonder, well, DP, how do we get to the Sukiyanas and the Sexy Reds? That right there. That's part of the reason why we got to that. Because they sat up there, they listened to the, what this man's saying, and it don't sound like a con job. He's not asking for no money. He's letting y'all know, man, this is what's coming to pass. But their concern, like I say, most of the civil rights generation was a Cadillac and a white woman and some social integration and a pat on the head from white mommy and white daddy. That was enough. Do y'all remember, I say this all the time, when Howlin' Wolf and Cadillac Records, the movie Cadillac Records, he said, I own this truck, it don't own me, and Muddy Waters was like, oh, you need to get you a Cadillac, man, look, look at this nigga riding there, this nigga riding. Man, Howlin' Wolf was trying to educate Muddy Waters. He was trying to tell him, look, man, you ain't got to sell your soul, you know what I'm saying? Cadillacs is cool, but this old truck is tried and true. It works, and it works for me. It does. It's, it's not the other way around. And he was he was able to. He didn't get into the women and the whiskey. He was able to reap all the benefits, and he didn't have to go out and spend all his money and borrow against the store. And you know, he wasn't looking at it. From the, the 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 optics that Muddy Waters was looking at it, Muddy Waters was looking at it like, okay, I just want to be seen, I want to be famous. Holland Wolf's looking at it like, okay, I want my I want my legacy to be paid. I want my kids to be straight. And because I discriminate against you, that's individual, that's personal. Right. It's not group based, and so you can no longer prove group based discrimination. The second thing about the word race. Remember also, which is very important for our discussion today, is the word race means being in competition. See, they didn't pick, they didn't pick house, tree, car. They said racism. Race means being where people are competing from here to there. And we're in competition. That's what racism means. Black people must learn how to compete or survive and survive or not compete and perish. Now, I have a question. Everybody that's listening here on the Bagland Podcast, are we surviving? 
Or are we competing? That's what I want to know. Are we surviving or are we competing? Because a lot of us is not surviving right now. A lot of us are just barely surviving. You had a sister the other day where you had some dusty dude and it's unfortunate she had to light the little young brother up. He came in her house. He tried to break in her house several times, she says. I don't know the whole backstory, but this, they were talking about evicting the sister. And I thought that was very unfortunate. I didn't think that the sister should have got evicted. I don't think she should have got evicted. No. Was good trouble. What do you LDS, LDS beats. I don't think she should have got evicted. We're going to do a throwback. I don't think she should have got evicted at all. I just, I don't think she should have got evicted. She was protecting her home. Told y'all this was going to be a long one. What are y'all thoughts on this here? Since we're talking about the black church. Hold on, let me get my music together. There's some old beats. Let's see if we can get some better ones. Oh, let's see. I'm probably going to find some better beats here. Got to get a cool little mood going here. Let's see if he has a playlist. Olympic nigga that say he the kid. Even though he was a nobody ass nigga and he had the Olympic woman. No, God made the man for it. So the woman is not. And I'm and I'm standing with Simone Biles, uh, 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 the, 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 the Olympic nigga that say he the kid. Even though he was a nobody ass nigga and he had the Olympic woman. No, God made the man for it. It, so the woman is not the catch. The woman is not the catch. I don't know where you nigga get out thinking the woman is the catch. The woman can't even talk to God, nigga. How she the catch and she can't go speak to God? Nowhere in the Bible does God speak to a woman. Nowhere. Nowhere in the Quran does the God speak to a woman. So how the woman the catch? Bitch, you ain't the catch. You the tail. I'm the head. You the tail, bitch. Now follow me. That's how nigga I start talking to the hoe. Yeah, yeah, nah, bitch, you ain't no motherfucking catch, hoe. Bitch, you a helpmate. You don't even know what a woman is. That's why you think you the kid. God made the man the kid. Bitch, I'm the prize. 
Cause I'm the extension to God, not you, ho. And that's what wrong with you, bitches. <laughs> Bitch, you the extension to the devil. That's why the devil was allowed to speak to you and you couldn't speak to God. I'm gonna say it again. Bitch, you more close to the devil than you is God, you devilish ho. That's why you can't talk to God in the Bible. But who spoke to the woman in the Bible? The devil, the serpent. So, bitch, you spend more time in your thoughts hearing from the devil than you do hearing from God. You have to make a conscious decision to go plug into God. And most you hoes don't make that conscious decision. So, guess what? Unconsciously, bitch, you talk to Satan all day. So, I don't want to hear nothing from you hoes. <laughs> no, don't read, the, don't read the spiritual books. The woman can't talk to God. She can't even approach God. But she can talk to the devil all day. Why do you think bitches be so fucked up in their head? Because they hear devil, dev, the devil, the devil whispers to the woman. He, she got more connection to the woman than God. No, no, no. I ain't going to take y'all out this morning. But I just want to let y'all know. Whole say, no say. If a hoe is out talking, a whole lie. If a hoe mouth moving, a whole mouth. If a hoe say, no say. So I don't believe shit uh, 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 they saying about T.D. Jakes. I stand with Bishop T.D. Jakes. Uh, uh, Thunder, yeah, Thunderhead Darwin Jakes. That's what I'm gonna call him, Thunderhead. Yeah, yeah, Meathead Darwin. Yeah, Darwin Jakes. Uh, yeah, that man ain't did all that shit. That whole line on that boy. And you nigga going out what a hoe done said. Nigga, all my pimp partner told me a long time ago. Nigga, you don't believe shit a hoe say. Hoe say, no say, nigga. Now, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing. Now, Jakes... Y'all know how my rule on the pastors. Y'all know my rule on that. Um, but the bottom line is, when you hear some chick that says, well, you know, the church and this, that, and the third, the bottom line is this. She can say whatever she wants, but the man's supposed to leave the house, right? So if... If you believe in that doctrine and then you turn around and say, well, no, I, I won't, I ain't submitting. I don't believe in that. Oh, I'm the prize and stuff. Well, okay. Don't end up like Taraji now. Don't do it. Don't do it. it it's not going to end well for you. History shows you that. Now, I want to play some of the genius of our greats. Oh, let me play it again. Now we have 40,000 gas stations in the United States where the price of gas is $3.99 or less. This is off the hook. Yeah. I was trying to get this whole song. You gotta talk, man. I've been eating rice every night. I can't even fill up the ride to go see my baby. Shout out to the to the Biden butt kissers. We now have forty thousand gas stations in the United States. With the price I'm gonna of play that one more time. I'm gonna play that one more time. Joe, you gotta talk. So when you don't know, 
I've been eating rice every night. You don't know your lineage and you don't know where you're from and you're confused and slavery don't matter. See, this is what we produce over here, the descendants of slaves. This is what we producing. We produce classics and hits. Forty thousand gas stations. Man, please. Man, please. Now, this is when I remember when Goosebumps came out and stuff like that, and the movie came out not too long ago. But listen to this: this is the dad that's saying, "Hey, I want my kids; they could, they should be able to read it." Daughter goes to Franklin. I'm unable to read to her for the simple fact that I'm a single parent and I had no time to read for her. So with these goosebumps collection that I have here, which I have not seen one tonight, encourage her to read. And if they're taken off the shelves, then I'm afraid she's going to lose inches to read and going to end up like me without a decent job because of no education. As long as she's wants to read these books, I encourage her, and I feel that the books should be left where they are, where they are for the kids' choice, not for the parents' makeup. If the, kid, if the kids choose to read them, more power to them. If the parents don't choose to have them in the home, more power to them. I'm so he's saying if the parents don't want them in the home, more power to them. If the kids choose to read them, more power to them. The thing is, you know, I stand behind the father on it. He's saying, I don't really, I don't know how to read. And my child knows how to read. And I want her to have a better life than what I can really produce. He said, well, I'm not educated. So, you know, maybe the job that he's doing don't make enough. You see what I'm saying? Maybe it ain't white collar or whatever. Maybe it's blue collar and he gets whatever he can. You know what I'm saying? So he's going on C-SPAN. Uh, I believe it was in front of. I don't, I don't know, but they were trying to ban these goosebumps. The reason why I played that is for a reason. Let's go back to the eco-sexual broad, which is insane. She should be in Arkham Asylum. It's a damn basket case. All right. So. The stuff that they are having our children read. Is nuts. They're literally putting in books that talk about um, sexual orientation and actually uh, sexual activity. They're teaching our kids that garbage. And you see how far we went away. See, that's why when we let this eco-sexual stuff, and most of us, man, in America, man, we most look at this like, man, what the hell? We don't, like I said, most of us have brains and we're not, we don't need to be in Arkham Asylum. Most of us don't need to be in Arkham Asylum. Most of us don't. Most of us don't. The thing is, this is how it starts. They were trying to ban goosebumps because maybe it was, you know, too scary or whatever the case may be. 
I would be terrified if I was a kid and somebody basically said, hey, Billy, you know, just come in this little room right here. You know, you can be a um, a sheep. I, I would be terrified. I, I don't know what I would do if I was a kid. You see what I'm saying? Because that sounds creepy now. I remember, man, let me tell you something. I never talked about this before, not on a broadcast. When I was a kid, man, I was by my grandma's house. Um, I don't know how old I was. I might have been 10, 11. I, I might have been 12 or something. And I think I was going to the store. I was over there off of Franklin and 26th, I believe that was, at the Holiday Gas Station, anybody that knows. And, um... I was getting ready to go. I think I was going. I don't remember where I was going. I can't remember if I was. I don't remember where I was going, but I might have been anywhere between 12. I could have been 13. And, you know, when I was young, I looked really young. Like when I was 19, I probably looked like I was 14 or something crazy. You know, I just look really, really, really young. So, you know, a lot of times. Like the first time when I went to the casino, I went to the casino with one of my homies. My homie had like a full beard and stuff like that. I was 18. He was a couple years older than me. They kept carding me, and they was almost getting ready to kick me out because I looked so young. I I was 18, but I probably looked like I was maybe 15 or 16. I just looked very, I just looked really, really young. So I might have been 10, 11, 12. I think I might have been 12 or 13 or something. I don't know. I was pretty young. And I was walking up the block to go to the gas station or whatever. And some dude approached me and he was kind of like, I don't know. He was, he was an adult. I know he wasn't 18 or 19. He, he was a grown man and he was, um, it was a black dude. He looked, he looked African. I'm not exactly sure, but. What I do remember, I knew he was black and he was trying to get me to come in his house. You know, he was like on some, I think he was, to my knowledge, he was saying something about, uh, I think I think I told, I think he must have asked me like, Oh, you're going to the store or something like, you know, I thought it was. And so I, I, I thought it was weird because the thing is I didn't strike up a conversation with him. I, I don't think it, it was a situation like that, but he must've said something like, Oh, I got snacks in the house or, uh, a pop or something like, and that really raised my spidey sense. Cause I knew if I would have went in there and I was like, nah, man, I'm good. I, you know? And so, he just kind of kept it going. And I didn't really think too much of it after that time. I didn't really tell nobody or whatever the case may be because it, 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 you know, it wasn't a situation where I felt violated or nothing. I just looked at it like, I didn't trust. I, I felt like if I go with, if I go anywhere with this person, it, it, it's going to end up bad. This person going to put something in my drink or whatever like that, you know, and uh, he could have been a kidnap, you know what I'm saying? It could have, it, it could have, it could have been, it could have went any kind of way. 
And I remember even in my neighborhood, I remember a van pulled up when we used to stay in River Bluff. And in order, here's the thing that it was a white dude that was in one of them big GMC vans. And he was talking to some little kids. He was talking to some little kids and, um, I knew that I never seen that van before. And these little kids were all kind of by the van and stuff like that. And so he was trying to, I guess, get the kids to get in the van or something like that or whatnot. And, um, it was one of them kind of vans where you knew there's, the area that he was in was kind of at the edge of our parking lot. So there was really no reason. There was no reason whatsoever to go down there. There, there was, there was no reason to, um, there, there, there wasn't no reason to, to, to go down there. Um, he shouldn't have been down there. You know what I'm saying? And so he was trying to get the kids to get in the van. And I think I started throwing rocks at the van or getting them away. And he sped, he sped off, you know? So that wasn't my first time in thwarting a, a, a so-called kidnapper. And he probably looked at me and thought, oh, I was young. Cause I, I looked young, but he probably figured that, you know, Hey, he knows what's going on or whatnot, but he could easily snatched one of them kids. Um, so That to me, um, this whole grooming process and stuff like that, that's that's within the same line as far as I'm concerned is kidnapping. When people start co-signing that and co-signing these little weird, funny books or whatever, like it's like, okay, now you talking about taking somebody in a room and oh get with this group and that's how they do it. You know, we start trying to brainwash you and then and then now we get you involved in because when they start talking about trans this and trans that and changing this and changing that, they're talking about sex. They're talking about somebody having some, at some point you talk about sexual intercourse and you're talking, you're, and you're talking to children about this. So I know that if you're trying to advise them into changing their bodies, there's nothing wrong with their bodies and you trying to advise them to do so. I, like I say, I look at that in the same veil of the pedophile and the kidnapper. That's how I see it. So, yeah, they want to ban the, they try to ban the Goosebumps books. Look at the books we got now. I bet that father, I don't know how old he is. He looked like he's in his late 40, late 40s or in his mid 50s. That man, if it was a Goosebumps ban, that might have been, let me see. Okay, 97. Yeah, it says, uh, February 8th, 97. Okay, so 1997, life or death, see murder. I probably was 14 or 13 or something like that. Maybe 14. 97, I might have just been going. I might have just been going, getting ready to get out of eighth grade. So I really, really, really look young at that point in time. So if they were banning these, trying to ban these Goosebumps books, okay, we fast forward to 2023, 2024, I mean. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? What else do we got? Let's keep it going. 
Somebody got a cold ass sample. All right, let's see here. Let me play. Let me play some some DJ Fresh. That's one of my favorite producers in the West Coast. Now check this out. It looks like J Rock. That's another one of my favorite artists from from the West Coast. J Rock is in the studio with DJ Fresh. It looks like they getting ready, and he mentioned something. It sounded musical, like a uh, I don't remember what it was, but he mentioned something. That sounded very musical. He was playing some chords. Yeah, nigga. Yeah. Shout out J-Rock, man. You understand me? You know what I'm saying? Eastside Johnny, this motherfucker, man. You feel me? Eastside Johnny in this bitch. DJ Fresh in this shit. Eastside over and out, nigga. This called the Circle of Fists right here. You understand me? Look. The Circle of Fists. Uh. One more time. Hey, happy birthday to my nigga Fresh, nigga. You feel me? Happy B day to my nigga. Yeah, nigga. Yeah. Shout out J Rock, man. You understand me? So, okay, he said the circle of fifths. So, in music theory, the circle of fifths is a way of organizing 12 chromatic pictures as a sequence of perfect fifths. Now, this is the definition. The circle of fifths organized pictures in a frequency, or I'm saying a sequence of perfect fifths, generally shown as a circle with the pictures in a clockwise progression. Musicians and composers often use the circle of fifths to describe the musical relationships between pictures. Its design is helpful in composing and harmonizing melodies. Man, that sounded beautiful. So this is a circle of fifths clockwise within one octave. Now here's a circle of fifths counterclockwise with one octave. All right, now what does it say? Then it says use. In musical pieces from the, I hope I'm saying it right, the Baroque scale, Baroque music area, era and the classical era of music and in western popular music traditional music and folk music when pieces or songs modulate to a new key these modulations are often associated with the circle of fifths diatonic scale and the circle of fifths derives from a major okay so hey man it's all math it's all math we gonna play some more let's play let's play some more fresh there's some fresh here that I want to that I want to play that's off the hook. Let me see here. Oh, he's off the chain. I, I'm gonna be honest. I like Fresh better than Dre because I know Fresh can play. And you know what else is crazy is he pulled some Mozart stuff, but check this out. And they say black folks ain't create hip hop. 
found a rare record of Marvin Gaye rapping. And he decided to remix it. Now there was another one. I can't wait till this, till this comes out. culture really we don't have heavy hitters over here I guess I, I, I guess that's what they say people will say well hey you know there's a disconnect and you know we're disconnected and stuff and it's like eh I suppose so. This 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 sounds really good. Oh, yeah, fresh is the beast. Fresh is very very underrated. Now, here's one of my favorite producers. And he's talking about why he bailed on the industry. I wanted okay, hold on. I don't know why why it's doing that. The music industry. And just to be honest, like it's a headache. It's a fucking disgusting industry. And I don't feel like I'm in it anymore. So when I make beats and I produce on someone's album, yeah, I'm in the industry. There's no way around it, okay? Gotta get the lawyers to do things and everything. But for the most part, I'm running a microbrewery now. I'm banging shit out, doing shit at my rate, tapped into a fan base that I'm directly connected through through the places that I sell it and just totally in touch of the people and it's a perfectly working ecosystem. So in that aspect, it's like I bailed out of the industry and it feels great. Now, that's Alchemist talking. He, 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 don't, he probably doesn't like the politics of the industry. I don't think he likes the politics of the industry. Oh, well, now, well, now we got another dude. We got we got another guy. He's kind of going off, and he's 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 speaking truth to power here. You don't take care of your children, you're on your way to hell. Right. He has denied the faith. What? He has denied the faith. You don't take care of your children, you're on your way to hell. He had to Did you hear what I said? 
That's right. Every man, black, white, yellow, brown, red, orange, if you stripe it, hey. I want to show you how God feel about bums. But if any, if any, provide not for his own, provide not for his own, and especially for and those, especially for those of his own house, of his own house, he hath denied the faith. No, he's in the church. He hath denied the faith. He denied the faith. And is worse. He's what? Worse. What? Worse. What? Worse. Worse than what? Than an infidel. And so you can't complain if that woman or children don't respect you. That's because right. Because not even God respect you. That's right. A man that's a real man, he'll go without a roof to make sure his kids have one. A man that's a real man will go without a shirt and make sure his sons and daughters have one. That's right. That's right. God bring a child in the world and you can't take care of it. Go ahead. Bro. You looking for everybody else to take care of it. Yeah. Other than yourself. Yeah. There's too many women that don't want to work, but left with no choice to work, tired, exhausted, working to take care of their kids, while the husbands are doing nothing. Five months go by and give the girl a dollar. They say, well, at least I something. Look at this. You don't take care of your children, you're on your... Now check this out. This is off the hook. <laughs> because you know that voice. <laughs> because you know that voice on the telephone when you're pressing that button to say, I need a real person. I need a real person. Yeah. That voice that you're asking to get away from is me. No way. Yeah. The one who says, to leave a message, please press one or just wait for the tone to enter in the next let me see if I could find this. Let's see if I could find this. What her name is. The voice of, hold on, wait a minute. Alita Bradley. I think that's what they, I think that's her name, Alita Bradley from New York. I think that's her name. Yeah, that is, yeah, I think that's her name, Melita Bradley. And she was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. All right, so. see here she's the woman behind the automated voice who responds when calls go to voicemail okay but I'm I'm trying to find some more information 
is trip hop. See there. That's what I'm trying to tell folks. Like there's so many different things when it comes to technology, lipstick gutter on this lipstick. I don't like this lipstick alley crap, but let me see if they got any links to it. They just got YouTube links. So Alita Bradley from New York. Yeah. yeah, it is Lipstick Alley garbage. It's another hood rat site. Um, I I can't really find it, and I don't I don't really see too much information. I don't really see much information, but now we at least know her name. We at least know her name. Just wanted to do those quick little analysis, give y'all a little bit of information here. We'll see y'all next week. I'm going to go ahead and get this all mixed down. And uh, I appreciate y'all linking up with me. Like, share, and subscribe. Share this because we got to get the history out there. I think I'm going to go a different direction next week. I think I'm going to have a movie analysis next week. I might bring up the Vernon Johns if you ain't careful. Bagland Podcast.